0: yo what's going on travel family hope you're doing well adventures near and far welcome to Point Noir, home of the Point Noir podcast. I'm your host, Jerry the Third, aka Kimono Jack, and this is the 46th session of the Point Noir podcast. We're almost a year old, y'all. The podiversary, as they call it. Kind of exciting. Glad you're here with us. Glad you're here for another session. We have an amazing guest, but first, I'd like to introduce to you for the first time ever, and don't ask me why, I've never done this before, but let's introduce our most recent passport winners. For the month of April, instead of giving away just one passport, I decided to give away too because we didn't have any entrance for March and we've also partnered up with our pal former alumni CJ Livingston who's out traveling the world for 100 days he also wanted to sponsor passports, so he definitely got us for April I said you know what since we had two entrants let's take care of both of them so we have Cash coming out of Houston and we have Lionel coming out of Mississippi congratulations again fellas actually today i'm going to go out and mail off their checks if you follow us on the gram which you should be by now at point Point War show i'll kind of talk to that process as i literally have to run around um get the right checks go to the mailbox go to the post office whatever you know stamp the envelopes we'll just kind of make a day out of it and it'll be kind of cool to uh share what that experience is like and uh i'd be so happy to do that with you so there we go cash line now winners for march and april shout out again to cj livingston make sure you follow him on instagram as well at where is cj living he has just started for a hundred days of straight travel i think right now he's in peru so wish you safest of travel bro and with that all being said we have a very special show for you today can't wait to introduce today's special guest so let's get right to it Joining us today is our special guest at The Point is Ali, aka the Iranian Nomad. Make sure to follow him on Instagram at Iranian underscore nomad. And yes, the country's name is Iran, not Iran for everybody coming from the western part of the world. It often gets mispronounced. So as you can tell by now, he probably is Iranian. He's a traveler. He's a brother with perspective, and he's bringing so much to the table in this session I can't even get into the details of it all, but I can promise you that you will definitely learn something about a region of the world that, especially in the West, often gets miscategorized, gets demonized, just there's so much misinformation out there. And there's an actual language barrier and technology barrier that prevents us from having regular casual contact with a lot of Iranians. So thank you so much to Ali for sharing his perspective in such a powerful way. And you can tell throughout the whole session, I'm learning, picking up things, learning about things like Farsi and Persian and that they're not Arabic. like. I had so much of my ignorance taken away because I didn't know anything about the country. So it's such a beautiful interview, probably will be one of my favorites. And I think you're going to get a ton out of it, too. So as always, you know the drill. Grab your refreshing beverage of choice. I still have some Tej left over from Ethiopia. I think that'll be mine. Find your coziest corner of your futon. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's session. And I'll see you on the flip side. Yo, what's going on, Ellie? Thank you for joining us today at The Point. How are you feeling today, fam? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm great, man. Uh, where are you calling us from today, just so people get a context?
1: Uh, I'm calling from Tehran, Iran.
0: Wow, dude. Like, you are, we've been exchanging DMs for like literally the past few hours. I was like, hey, would you like to be on the show? You're like, yeah. You're like, can I be on the show immediately? And I was like, Doing some negotiations. It's been cool, man. I I appreciate the the exchange. You've been very patient.
1: I appreciate uh, your time and being able to put me on right now.
0: Absolutely. Man. Absolutely, man. And uh, I actually, we strive to collect stories of, of men of color who travel. And I don't know anybody who's from Iran who travels or does anything. And dude, just look at your Instagram, bro, just the food alone. Like if you're a foodie, definitely check out his IG. Like everything looks luscious and green and fucking delicious. And the scenery, like I'd love to learn more about Iran, your experience, how you became a traveler. Like it's just beautiful from everything you've shown me.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Iran's a country that's very misrepresented. Most people don't know anything about it, except all the noise you hear and on the news. So I decided to open up this account and try to dispel some of those myths
0: that exist. Absolutely, man. You're doing an amazing job representing it. So let's, let's start talking about you. How did you get into traveling and uh, adventuring?
1: Well, I was privileged enough to grow up in a family where we traveled a lot since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Because my parents, they were, they're both the university professors. So when I was around three, we moved from Iran to Switzerland for six months because my dad was studying there in Switzerland. And then after six months, we moved to Vancouver, Canada. So I grew up in Canada, basically, for until I was 12 years old. Then I moved back to Iran again with the family. And I was here until until I moved back again to Canada for my PhD on my own. And I lived another 10 years in, in, Can- in Montreal, Canada.
0: Okay, wow.
1: Yeah, so I've done a lot of traveling with the family. And then after living in Canada for half my life, I realized that there's so many stereotypes, wrong stereotypes about Iran and Muslims and the Middle East and brown people and people of color everywhere. And it just kind of got my blood boiling. And it got me to a point where I thought like, I know the language, I know the culture in the West. And... I felt like it's my duty to somehow use this knowledge and this uh, this connection to teach people about this this side of the world.
0: That's great, and I think I can relate to that a lot. I'm really surprised to say that you felt I don't know if animosity would be the word you'd use, but is the reputation of Iran not favorable in Canada as well? We usually think of Canada as being very diverse and pretty open. What what was that like?
1: Yeah, Canada's compared to Western countries, it's probably one of the least. I would say racist in quotation countries in the world, but yeah. still even in Canada, even if people are politically correct about it and they smile at you and they're nice, you just feel it every day. I mean, just by the fact that like you're sitting on, uh, sitting in the Metro and the subway and someone leaves their seat, you can feel that they're not happy to sit next to you or a uh, man at the immigration desks. When you want to enter, Canada, the U.S., mm-hmm. any Western country, you get asked the most ridiculous questions and you could just feel it every day. And it, it, it might not be out there, like in the U.S., people now might, might, uh, might not be as direct as they are in the U.S., but it's still live and well.
0: Yeah. So I'm thankful that you could share that perspective because that's something that I think a lot of, from my experience as a as a Black American, there's just kind of this sense, you know, when stuff doesn't quite click and you're like, what's going, is it, is it because of the color of my skin? That's really interesting that you've had similar experiences because, yeah.
1: uh, you know, and it's, like, and it's not just the color of
0: the skin with, with Iran. Oh, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. Keep going. What, it's more than just the color of the skin.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, with Iran, for example, you could be having a perfect conversation with someone at a bar or a restaurant or something like a stranger, everything could be going really well. And then as soon as they ask you where you're from and you say Iran, it's like end of conversation right there. It's like, Oh, cool. Okay. (laughs) And they just leave. So the name you run is, it actually makes a bigger difference than just the color of your skin. So there's like two layers of racism.
0: Wow. Wow. So man, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I think it's great that you've had these dual experiences that you've, I mean, you've really put a lot into this account and your travels and showing off the country. Now I can't read Arabic yet, (laughs) but there was even a point not too long ago where Nat Geo did not accept was it picture submissions from iran and a couple other countries and you made a difference with that
1: yeah thanks just first off uh the language we speak in iran it's uh it's persian it's it's not uh arabic
0: my bad yeah
1: no that's just another misconception about iran but the the alphabet is the same it's similar okay so yeah okay so you're not totally off on it but uh persian it's an Indo-European language actually it's more similar to like English and French than to Arabic. But about the Nat GeO thing, so yeah, so uh, they had this uh, competition for reaching a 100 million um, followers on Instagram. And mm-hmm. out of those 100 million, I'm sure a lot of them were Iranian because Iranians love na- National Geographic. But Iranians weren't allowed to compete in that contest, and that just got me really pissed off because a lot of the good content the National Geographic provides for its viewers is from Iran, And Mm -hmm. in that contest, you were allowed to put pictures or videos of Iran, but you weren't allowed to be an Iranian taking those pictures, which is really absurd. Wow. Because, for example, I'm a dual citizen right now. I have Canadian citizenship and and Iranian citizenship. So Mm -hmm. I, for example, would be allowed to compete because of my Canadian passport. But just for not having that one piece of paper, I wouldn't be allowed to compete. And it doesn't make any sense.
0: Right. It almost invites others that aren't from the region to take up the space that Iranians rightfully should be I mean, it's their country.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and worst of all is that when you go and read like the contest rules in the eligibility section, it says that these uh, people from these certain countries, Iran, Syria, North Korea, Cuba, and Sudan, if I'm not mistaken, are not allowed to compete in the competition because of certain rules, which are because of their countries being states, state sponsors of terrorism and blah, blah, blah. And when someone reads that, when they don't know the context and they read that, they automatically think, oh, okay, so people from these countries, they're probably terrorists. Because that's because National Geographic is saying that's why they're not allowed to compete. Yeah. Whereas if, if like you don't expect an organization like National Geographic to be so clumsy, at least they could have... Like put a link and said like if you want to check why people from these countries are not allowed to compete in the contest you can click for further information something like that but they just had it right out there on the first page wow and that, and that just strength strengthens strengthens that stereotype about Iranians and people from those other
0: countries the misperceptions the yes the lack of understanding that's that's no bueno. Yeah. In addition to to having the opportunity, I'm I'm very excited to learn more about Iran and from your photos and stuff. I want to visit. I want to see. I want to hang out, kick it. But I really want to know what travel brought to you just because your parents gave you the opportunity or you had the opportunity through your parents to travel and experience Canada and see differences. What made travel kind of like a fixed part of your life? Because you're about to go on another trip, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm actually about to go uh, tomorrow or the day after. And that's why I was really persistent on having this interview before I leave. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you were very insistent. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it though. So yeah, I'm sure there are other people who've grown up in, in different countries and eventually don't commit to traveling, to making it a lifestyle. What about travel attracts you? What keeps you taking adventures and having experiences?
1: Well, there, there's there's two sides to it traveling through iran is mostly out of my passion to show iran to the world and for myself mm-hmm. to learn more about my country because iran's a very diverse country um we have over 40 ethnicities with different languages different customs um and different looks you know uh, different food different architecture everything and it's just a surprise for me to see each different part of iran myself and learn more about it because even among Iranians, if they're living, for example, in the capital, Tehran, they think Tehran is is all of Iran. That's like it represents what Iran is. But that's not really it. When you go to different regions, you, you start to realize that there's Kurdish Iranians, there's Turkic Iranians, AzerI Iranians, Baluchis, Arabs, all these different ethnicities. And they're all equally Iranian. And this is something that I really want to show to the world that we've been living in peace together, all these different races Without any problems for over three thousand years on this side of the world, and then when they when they accuse us of, for example, causing insecurity in the region and stuff like that, it's just it, it it motivates me more to try to teach people about the realities of this side of the world. Yeah, and also the stereotypes about, for example, when you hear Iran, the first thing you think is a country covered in desert which is true. It's not entirely wrong. Half of Iran is desert. We have a lot of beautiful deserts, but we also have uh, snow-capped mountains. Um, we have tropical beaches. We have lush uh, rainforests in the north. We have all kinds of landscapes. And um, so traveling through Iran for me is still a learning process. But when I travel to other countries, it's mostly because I want to learn about the misconceptions that I have of their countries because mm. e- even though I try to be very open obviously because of the media and because of the way the world is all these borders and uh, the way everything is organized even I have a lot of misconceptions a lot of, about a lot of other places too but I always try to travel with a very open mind and not have any expectations any prejudgments when I go to places and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's just amazing like uh, it's the I think it's the best learning experience you can have
0: to travel. definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Now, do you remember maybe one of your earlier experiences where you realized, wait, I totally have the wrong idea about this country or city I'm in right now?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. For example, when I would travel to Russia, mm-hmm. based on all the stuff you see in the media, I thought like everyone's frowning in Russia. Uh, they're going to be very racist. They're not going to be helpful. Everything is gray even though I had like a very open mind about it and I did a lot of research about Russia. I, I generally, I'm a Wikipedia freak. (laughs) I read about everything Mm I uh, see instantly. And even though I had all the knowledge about this country, uh, when I went into Russia, I realized like everything, all of the ideas and perceptions I had about Russia, they were all wrong pretty much. And I was really happy that I went there and saw for myself because if I hadn't, uh, I would have kept those misconceptions with me,
0: that's powerful, and your willingness to change your mind even given the information you had before, I find that not everybody's able to do that to think critically when they're in a situation that's different than the the information they've been given. That's what's up. that's cool.
1: yeah, I think well, I think if you don't have any expectations when you go to to, to a place and respect the the local culture and respect the fact that you're you're the person. Uh, you're the outsider there you're the person who has to adapt yourself to their customs and culture and they have no responsibility to accommodate themselves because they're living their everyday life and if you don't have those expectations first of all you're going to enjoy every single country you go to and secondly you're going to learn a lot but if you want to be closed and guard yourself from the locals and try to live with the expectations that you have of your home country when you're traveling. You're not gonna learn anything, and plus you're gonna have a lot of additional negative thoughts about them, in addition to the preconceived uh, stereotypes that you had about them. And you're just gonna think negatively about everything.
0: I love that you shared that, bro, that is so right. And I think a lot of, even the occasional traveler, if you're more of a tourist, there's still a lot of gold in what you just shared be open minded but people are under no obligation to facilitate your experience you're exactly. in their country their day to day life exactly that's that's amazing
1: i see a lot of people like especially western tourists when they go to places they they have expectations about those countries that are ridiculous like for example they, they go into a restaurant and like they complain about not having ice in their water or like why is the ac not on full blast i mean <laughs> like What the hell you're going to someone else's country and you're complaining about how they live their own life. It's just absurd (laughs) or like, why is your English accent? Not, not like, not very well. For example, I've seen a lot of Americans, they go places and they make fun of the locals for not speaking English very well. Well, English isn't their language. They're they're not supposed to even know it. Just the fact that they're trying to communicate with you through your language is, is a lot like you should be thanking them for, for that.
0: Yes. You're nailing it, bro. This is this is so much of how I feel about traveling and adventuring, especially if you've been sitting in, let's say, Spanish or French class for 7 years and you won't dare open your mouth to have a conversation. Like people yeah. can be audacious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. They definitely can be. I used to be a tour guide in Paris, so I came across a range of personalities and I would explain to my guests very simply listen, if you know, try to conform, try to adapt. I'll give you some tips and reminders, but just in general, they've been French longer than you've had a country. So just keep that context with you as we go through this tour. (laughs) Yeah, that's great advice. Shoot. Got all them tips too. try not to give too much shade, but also, you know, educate a little bit. I try, man. I try. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure you're doing good. So let's talk about your travel. Like how is setting up a trip from iran differently than you know we have certain travel websites and hacks that we use over here what are your travel go-to's are you always for group trips do you prefer solo trips do you like staying in hostels what's your travel vibe like uh inside iran you mean or even just uh navigating through i've had some guests who had a lot of experience through southeast asia or whatever so they share you know the websites that work best out there for them or the travel apps
1: okay traveling abroad i use the usual stuff like airbnb booking.com skyscanner things that everyone else uses because I'm lucky and mm-hmm. privileged enough to have a credit card because people in Iran, they're not allowed to get credit cards because our banking system is under sanctions. So that's, that's a big problem for Iranians when they want to travel abroad.
0: I had no idea.
1: Yeah. So we have to take cash wherever we go because our bank cards don't work anywhere.
0: Okay. And even to, let's pause right there because even having this interview right now, you are saying, I hope that the call-in app that we use is allowed through our servers, right?
1: Yes, because a lot of uh, websites, American websites, they're filtered in Iran and vice versa. A lot of American apps or websites don't work if your IP is in Iran. For example, Apple just closed down a lot of uh, Iranian apps because their servers were in Iran. So we have a lot of those problems.
0: Wow. So again, spending some time here, how would someone who doesn't have dual citizenship or the exposure that you've had to the world. How does a typical brother in Iran get out and see something beyond Iran?
1: Oh, actually, that's, that's a great topic because I, I wanted to make sure to talk about this. So if you have an Iranian passport, you can basically only travel to, I think, 18 countries visa-free or not even visa-free. You can get visa on arrival or travel visa-free to like only 18 countries or something. And Wow. Basically, it's impossible to get a Schengen visa for Europe or an American Mm -hmm. visa or a Canadian visa unless you have a direct relative that sends like an invitation for you. Yeah. And it's it's gotten even harder for the U.S. So I see a lot of people complain about having to pay visa fees. And it just it sounds so ridiculous to me because that's like the least of our problems. Iranians are willing to pay as much as they need to just to be able to get get an interview for for a visa. (laughs) Cause a lot of, yeah. a lot of the embassies, em- embassies don't even allow us to apply directly. We have to get an interview, uh, set up and just getting the interview requires like uh, a lot of connections, money, time. And once you get the interview, you have to gather all these documents. It's basically as hard as applying for a house loan. <laughs> sometimes you have to show that you have like uh <laughs> proof of having like a. Uh, Property in Iran, you have to have like a full bank account to show that you can support yourself while you're traveling. You have to show all these ridiculous documents just to be allowed to apply in the first place, and most of the time we get rejected at the end of the day. Wow! So when I see people complain about visa fees, it just shows like how how cut off some people are from the realities of other that other people are living on a daily basis. So I'm 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 very lucky right now to have a second. Uh, citizenship, but I've only had it for around three years. And I did most of my traveling before I got the Canadian passport.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And you brought up a really good point, you know, just when it comes to privilege and things to be grateful for, especially with a U.S. passport, I think a lot of citizens, most of our citizens don't have a passport.
1: Yeah, I know, (laughs) which is very unfortunate.
0: But I think even the ones of us who do, like just the ease that we can move throughout countries. I've applied for visas. I've had to do things like that. But ultimately, I've been able to leverage the fact that I've had a U.S. passport to my advantage, knowingly. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about your account, which I hope everybody shares, is just awareness. If you don't have anybody in your circle who's Iranian, no one to have a discussion with, And also we have this digital barrier where our news isn't necessarily getting to you, your news isn't necessarily getting to us. You know, there's a separation there. But at the end of the day, I think people still want the same shit. But how can you be aware when there's these big barriers?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, when you like when you listen to the news or just, for example, watch Hollywood movies about Iran, you can't get anything out of that. Because it's it's always about a certain agenda, it's always about politics. It's never about like an ordinary guy living in an ordinary village in Iran showing his everyday life. So it's really hard to, as you said, to get like good, genuine information about our country. And well, vice versa, it's, it's not as bad because the U.S. basically owns the media everywhere. So
0: a lot of people have access to information about the U.S. Yeah, it's one of our chief exports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For worse or for worse, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and, and even if you if you do have access to content about, for example, a country like Iran, it's really hard to get it in English. That's one of mm-hmm. the reasons why I'm I'm very persistent on continuing this account.
0: Yes, and I appreciate the correction a hundred percent, brother. Now I know it's Persian. It may look like Arabic, but I am reading. Per- I didn't even know. I visibly know the difference. Persian. Now I know. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it's Persian or Farsi. They're, they're an equivalent. Uh, oh, Farsi. Uh, Farsi. Okay. Yeah, Farsi and Persian okay. is the same thing. I don't know if you want to get into the history of why, why we use the two terms, but...
0: When I go to visit you, I think we'll have some time to, to yeah. talk about <laughs> that. So I'm curious, how were you able to travel before you had your Canadian passport?
1: Well, first, first I started with the countries that I could travel without a visa. Mm-hmm. So not all countries are... are uh have that animosity towards us. Like we could go to Turkey without a visa, we could go to Georgia. We used to be able to go to Malaysia. I don't know if that's still the case. Uh it was pretty easy to get a visa for Thailand. And I also went to Cuba because you didn't need a visa with an Iranian passport. But then when I traveled to Europe, for example, I would have to look for some kind of conference or something and apply to a conference uh, in order to be able to get the visa. It was, it was kind of complicated and kind of sneaky on, on, on my part, <laughs> but that was like the only way I could get the visa. So I would try to look for conferences that fit my field of study and apply for them. And then once you, you got admission from the conference or you like wrote a paper that got accepted or something, they would send you uh, an invitation letter and you could take it to the embassy and you could get the visa. But even then, like they would usually give you like a two-week visa or, or a 12-day visa and I would have to like squeeze in three countries or four countries into like 12 days, which wasn't what I wanted
0: to do at the time. But I, I had no choice. I can imagine. I'm curious. Are there other are there other young men like yourself who are having to go through the same hoops to, to get this done? I mean, writing a full paper to go to a, like a work related event. Listen, Americans, we don't read or write. This already is giving me the sweats, bro. Like, uh, what was that experience like? How did you maximize your time while you were in Europe for those, you know, short number of days where you weren't at the conference to see things?
1: Well, to be perfectly honest, I would basically ditch the conference. I would just do my talk and just skip the rest. (laughs) Because the whole point of applying for the conference was to travel. It wasn't really to attend. (laughs) So like I would apply for a conference, I would do my talk and then I would try to travel for like the remainder of the time that I had there. And it was like, I remember when I, uh, my first uh, Schengen visa that, that I applied for, I applied for a conference in Madrid in Spain. And I flew to Spain through Austria. I did my talk in Madrid. And then after that, I drove down to Cordoba, Granada, Sevilla, uh, did the entire south of Spain, Andalusia, and then I went back to Barcelona, took a train to Montpellier in France, and then Mar- uh, Marseille, mm-hmm. and then took a train up to Lille and Brussels, and then back to Paris, and then back to Vienna and back to Iran. So, like that, I squeezed all of that into twelve days. Wow! Yeah. So <laughs> wow! It wasn't it wasn't the best best kind of trip I could have I could have had, but. Based on the conditions
0: and the restrictions I had, I made the best. It really sounds like you did. That does sound like the ideal trip. I mean, why not see? I mean, you put yourself on tour for real. <laughs> Was there anything that you took away that you liked about these countries? Because I'd imagine you might not be a fan of some of these countries because of their policies towards Iran.
1: Oh, no. It's, I mean, I don't confuse the people with the governments. The people are fine mm. everywhere. People are lovely everywhere yeah. if you get to know them. It's just the, the governments that mess it up for all of us. People are nice. They were, they were super nice in Spain. They were really nice in, in France. I loved uh, traveling through the south of France. I had relatives in yeah. the north, so that was a good experience. Uh, they took me around in, uh, in the north of France. No, I don't, I don't have any problem with anybody. <laughs> As I told you, like, I, I don't have any expectations or anything. So it always turns out good.
0: That's awesome and very open hearted of you. I think I can see it in both ways and probably because I'm probably not as nice as you are. (laughs) But you know, sometimes I think if a government is not treating people the way that they should be, let's take the United States, for instance, I encourage people of color to just like leave. Like they don't necessarily they have options to get away. You know what I mean? And while people generally are nice, and it depends on, you know, how you show up in that space. I could see, you know, maybe you're not a fan of particular countries because they had a certain agenda. That's all.
1: I don't know. I, I I think I could, I could agree with some of that, but I also disagree in a way. I think if, if people just, if they're facing a problem and they just want to like leave and not resist it and fight for their rights, I think that's basically giving those people who don't want you exactly what they want. So I've traveled actually like half of the states in the US, and I didn't have a problem mm-hmm. with people in any of the states either. I mean, you do see people treating you not so nicely in some places, but they're always the minority. Even if you go to the, the most racist, worst place you could think of, those racist people are still the minority, I think. Just the fact that like, I don't know, if you, if you go to a very remote area where they don't see a lot of uh, foreign tourists or brown tourists, for example, Muslims and you interact with them and they talk with you and they realize that you're not as bad as they thought you were, I think that itself is is powerful and it can make a difference at the end of the day. So for example, like uh, I was doing a, a trip uh, through the Southwest of the US. Uh, we started from Denver and then drove down to New Mexico and then back up to Colorado again and then through Utah and down to Arizona and ended in California. And I, we had this experience when Where we were at a mechanic in Moab in Utah. And there was this Mm -hmm. guy, he had a sign saying something against sand and N word, something like that Mm -hmm. in his shop. And, but he was a really nice guy. And when we, and after like we got the car fixed and everything, I asked him about the sign. I'm like, why do you have that up there? And he's like, because these people are out to kill us and, you know, we've been sacrificing in Iraq and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but do you, do you know a single like person from that region that you're hating? And he's like, no, but I'm sure they're bad. I'm like, and I said, well, I'm one of those people. Like, am I that bad? And he's like, oh, I thought like you're Mexican or or Hispanic or something. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Iranian. I'm Muslim and I don't seem that bad, do I? And like after that, we had like a a friendly chat for another 10 minutes or something. And I think I'm not sure, but I think I did make a big difference. And changes perception to a big extent.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. And shout out to you for engaging in, in a positive way that made somebody feel invited and, and welcome to, you know, to put down their guard. I think that's I think that's dope. I'm curious though, because the way I see, and this could have nothing to do with the show or the podcast and might not make it in, but so when I look at the black American experience, I think it's one thing to talk about. People who've immigrated to the country. Well, I I categorize it in two ways. People who came to the country by choice Uh and people who did not, and people who were brought to the country against their will. Yeah. And there's a there's a difference in that. So I think that there's a ton of opportunity. I chose to come back to the States after living in France because there were opportunities for me economically, but I also recognize that the entire system systemically is set up for me not to be a part of it exactly does that make sense yes
1: exactly that that's exactly what i was trying to say
0: so in terms of the whole stay and stick and fight it out and we have a lot of mantras and chants we go through here you know people fought for your right to vote but it's like to vote in a system that isn't designed for them to win yeah exactly it's that part particularly for the black american experience that i'm just like you know what y'all we could just not be here
1: yeah but then, at the same time like it's it's just as much uh, your country as it is anyone else's, so you have every single right to be there and if if other people don't realize that they should they should be the ones to leave I think <sighs> I know it's really tough but I, it's, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm privileged in the fact that I wasn't born in Canada, maybe, or my parents don't live there, so I didn't have to live there, so I did have have a choice mm-hmm. to move to to another place. And maybe it's just easy for me to say this, but I don't know, like when I was living in Canada, I, I felt like I have to fight my ground as well while I was there.
0: Mm. Yes, this might be a discussion that we pick up <laughs> <laughs> that we pick up in real life. Yeah, I'm fascinated. And I, I actually really appreciate this level of discourse because it's not too often that it's a travel show. We talk about, you know, empowering, inspiring, all that sort of stuff, but there are challenges like philosophical things that, you know, being a traveler makes you a critical thinker, I think, by, you know, if you're doing it the way you could. And these are interesting discussions that are perfect for having in a bar with people that you're just hanging out with. I love this.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm enjoying it too.
0: This is what happens when you become a critical thinker, y'all. You, you get deep real quick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk about some of your travel experiences in regards to sharing them. Do you usually travel solo? You mentioned putting yourself on tour, but also meeting with family. Do you have a preference? Do you like traveling in groups or traveling solo?
1: I prefer groups. Well, not groups. I prefer to have like two or three close people that I want to travel with. Okay. But I'm not a fan of big groups because it's really hard to organize uh, everyone's tastes. and.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Is there a travel movement or a shift you see for more Iranians to see more of the world? Like, are there a lot of young men out there like you just hungry to see shit?
1: Yeah, I think I think there's been a new wave recently in the past like three or four years, especially with Instagram, because it's mm-hmm. one of the few uh, social media apps that isn't filtered and you don't need a VPN to access it. So yeah, I see a new wave of people hungry to travel. And there's there's been a, a few more countries that have been added to the list of places we could travel without visas recently. So... That's also helped. And also, like with the internet and everything, before it wasn't as easy to find uh, flights to different countries if you are Iranian, because as I said, like you don't have credit cards, so you can't buy through the uh, known airline websites, Skyscanner, Flight Hub, or any of the above. So nowadays, there's like Iranian websites that offer online bookings and everything. So that's helped as well. Yeah, I think. Generally, the world's becoming more connected with social media, which I think is a good thing because it helps with people getting a better understanding of each other on all sides.
0: Now that you explain it that way, that Instagram is one of the few sites or apps that isn't blocked, it's amazing that social media can bring us to these points of connection and we don't even realize how deep it is that this might be the only platform I'd have a chance to know about you and your story and learn more about your life and experience. It's wild.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you come to think about it, You realize how powerful it is like i i know you through kiona i I wouldn't have ever known you if i hadn't known kiona and and i know kiona through some other person too so like all these connections have been made because of social media
0: it's a beautiful thing shout out to kiona how not to travel like a basic bitch we'd be shouting her out all the time on the show but she knows like everybody
1: oh yeah she's she's (laughs) awesome
0: she's such a good person and she's always doing what's right which is amazing always yeah always even if it's retroactively she'll go through re-edit her posts we could do a whole show about her she's she's dope shout out to kiona yeah and yeah she definitely put us in touch and i'm i'm even more appreciative now that i understand more your narrative and i'm so fascinated bro how does the whole not having credit card thing work do people show up to the airport with cash yeah we have to travel with cash but i mean to buy your ticket like that's a lot of cash
1: not just for the ticket, I mean, for everything. Like if you're traveling somewhere, you have to take as much cash as you expect to spend there. So if you want to go like on a wow. three-month trip and you expect to spend, say, $7,000, you have to take $7,000 in cash with you.
0: Can I have this in small bills,
1: please? <laughs> 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 yeah, those, those, that's just one of the hurdles that we have, traveling as an Iranian that people usually take for granted. It's not something that anyone ever even thinks about.
0: Yeah, I'm like... My pockets are only, you know, I'm a relatively fashionable guy. My pockets are only but so big. Where am I keeping this cash on me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not just for like everyday expenditures like food and public transportation and stuff. Like if you want to book an online ticket while you're traveling, we can't do that. So you have to buy it in cash again. So, for example, if if, if you're doing like a two week trip through somewhere in Europe and you're going to buy train tickets and plane tickets, you're going to do all that with your credit card. So you don't have to worry about that at all. You're going to do all of that online, but we have to have cash for that as well, unless you buy
0: it all in advance. I'm missing something. So is there like a a center that you can plug into where you say, here's my cash, buy this ticket for me?
1: No, you have to do it all. Because you said most
0: people don't have credit cards. Yeah,
1: you have to to do it all in advance while you're in Iran or do it in cash. There's no other way.
0: Wow. Any other unique challenges like that?
1: Not that I could think of particular. Oh, well, there's a really big challenge and that's just uh, the purchasing power that we have. Like right now, Mm. because of the sanctions, our currency has like dropped by one fourth of what it used to be almost. So like if you could get, for example, $1, sorry, $3 with 10,000 tomans before, which is our currency, now you could get less than $1 with that. So our purchasing power is like really, really weak right now. And the average income in Iran or because of this conversion rate right now is about like $150 a month. So you can see it's almost impossible to travel abroad nowadays for the ordinary Iranian. And that's why why I've been traveling domestically for the past year. I haven't gone anywhere since the summer.
0: That is incredible. And thank you for stating it so plainly. I think even people in the States who complain about all oh, these, you know, travel is expensive. It's like, no, my guy, you haven't seen expensive.
1: Oh, yeah. Like uh, right now, if if a foreigner wants to come to Iran, it's probably the cheapest country to travel to. But at the same time, it's become like three times more expensive for the ordinary Iranian to travel through Iran because we get paid in our local currency. We don't get paid in dollars. Right. So, right. so for example, you could get like a perfect meal in Iran right now for... Around three dollars, whereas for an iranian, that's that's a lot of money, yeah, because for them, it used to be one third of what what it was what it was before
0: I appreciate you speaking to this because you're talking about, you know, when it comes to economic power, a lot of times, as as u uh, s. citizens, we look for countries where our dollar stretches. Oftentimes, though, we don't talk to a person face to face and have them really talk about the reality of living in that environment, not just visiting, you know, living and earning in that environment.
1: Yeah, it's, it's become really tough nowadays for, for Iranians. We have this uh, culture of hospitality in Iran where usually if we have a guest, we don't let them spend money for like, if we go out for a dinner, for example, we're, we're always gonna insist on paying. But, mm-hmm. and sometimes, cause there's a difference in culture. You don't have that in the West or in many other cultures. And um, yeah. People, they don't realize that this person is just being polite and being nice. And okay, maybe they can invite you for dinner, but you shouldn't let them pay for all of your expenses. But I see all these backpackers and hitchhikers, they come to Iran and they don't even spend a single dime, even though for them, it's nothing because pers- like everything is so cheap right now in Iran for a foreigner. But they come here and not only do they not spend anything, they take advantage of like people who are struggling to live their daily lives. And they don't give a damn, you know. They just come and enjoy their time in Iran, and they leave without thinking twice about it, which really pisses me off, to be honest. Yeah,
0: I like that your your blood boils and quickly. I I really appreciate that <laughs> because that that's real, bro. That's that's really real. So before we round out, man, I want to know what's the best way for. Us here for for say a U.S. like myself. What's the best resource for information about Iran besides hitting you up in the DMs all the time? How can I learn more about the culture so when I get there I can appreciate it more? That's question one.
1: There's actually not a lot of resources in English. I don't know. Maybe if someone is
0: or step one, learn Farsi. <laughs> is that what it is?
1: Step one. What I what I always do when I would travel, I, I first search like the country or the city or region I'm going to on Wikipedia and read it read as much about it as I can, but that's just me. A lot of people mm-hmm. aren't really into reading. So if, <laughs> if you're not into reading, there's not really a lot of documentaries or stuff you could see about Iran.
0: You have any cute cartoons we can watch maybe? You know?
1: <laughs> maybe Iranian movies. There, there, there's a bunch of okay. Iranian, like good Iranian movies. One of them, two of them won Oscars just recently in the past few years. If people are into like mo- cinema, there's good Iranian movies they could watch. I guess there's some good documentaries they could see on YouTube.
0: But other than that, there's not much, I guess. Okay. So forget all that means we have to come to the country now. So (laughs) get in touch with an Iranian. Get in touch with Iranian. (laughs) Hey, I think that should be the new app. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about, I mean, there's so much you share in your stories. And everyone, listen, you have to check out Iranian Nomad. Uh, that's his IG handle. But let's talk about some misconceptions and then some things to really look forward to, like must-see stops if we are able to visit. And actually, real quick, before we do that, I know I'm talking a lot. So Ali, uh, is it even possible for me to visit Iran with an American passport, with a U.S. passport?
1: Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely possible. It's just a little more difficult for American citizens uh, and Canadian and British citizens to travel to Iran. because. Uh, you'd have to come with a guided tour. Ooh. Yeah, so it's going to be a little more complicated uh, and a little more expensive too because you can't do it on your own.
0: Okay, so what would a guided tour look like? Is that someone who, uh, would we be with a local? Is it like an informational tour? What does that mean?
1: I'm not sure really because I've never done it myself. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right obviously but, <laughs> yeah
1: but from from friends who have done it I, I heard that it's basically like uh you get like a package tour that where everything is like your itinerary and everything is uh preset mm-hmm. you know where you're going in advance uh you booked your hotels and everything and you just have someone traveling with you the whole time which is kind of an unfortunate mm. is it fun i don't know the thing is because the u.s uh, doesn't have a an embassy in iran anymore yeah. So I guess maybe that's why I don't know exactly what the reason is, but I, I'm, I'm guessing that's the reason because Canada and Britain also don't have consulate sections in Iran anymore and they have to also get guided tours. But if you're, for example, a wow. European citizen, uh, you get visa on arrival it's really easy or most other countries don't need visas.
0: Damn, that sounds buns. Yeah, that kind of sucks. That's not how I travel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right.
1: But a lot of people have traveled. Like, I, I know a lot of Americans who have traveled and they like, really had a good time here. So
0: All right. So I guess I'll get over it because if you had to write a paper to go to a conference to go do a sprint through Europe, I'll suck it up for the experience because <laughs> it's the best I can do with my situation.
1: Yeah. Unless it changes, hopefully in, in
0: the near or far future. Or unless I marry into a dual citizenship, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that could also work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what are some, I don't even call them hidden gems, just gems we don't know about in Iran that are definitely worth checking out? I mean, the, the landscapes alone that you show when your feed are amazing, but what are some key places to that if you do get the opportunity to visit Iran that are worth checking out?
1: Well, the, the, the classic route that most people do is Through central Iran, because the city of Isfahan is probably like the most touristic place in Iran. It has amazing architecture from the 16th century. There's all these old bridges and mosques and palaces that are really beautiful. And then there's a city of Yazd, which the entire city is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Okay, It's a huge mud brick city. The entire city is made of mud brick and there's winding alleys and really cool architecture. There's... The skyline is, is really cool because it's dotted with wind catchers. Okay. And it's right in the middle of the desert. There's a lot of cool deserts around it. And then the city of Shiraz is the city of gardens. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of historic gardens in that city and also a lot of beautiful mosques and bazaars. And outside of the city is Persepolis or Takhter Jamshid, as we call it, mm-hmm. which is the ancient capital of the Persian empire from 2,500 years ago. And there's, uh, there's a lot of other really old historic stuff around the city of Shiraz as well. So that would be like the main classic t- tourist uh, track that most people do. But I personally like the off beaten path. And yeah. if you're into nature and ancient history, Iran is probably one of the best places in the world you could travel to because the diversity and landscape is, is just amazing here. And we have like all four seasons at the same time, which is pretty rare in most countries.
0: Yeah, that's the big thing that they say with, you know, New Zealand or California that, hey, you can be in the mountains in the morning and then on the beach at night. I would never think that Iran had that if I hadn't seen your stories.
1: Yeah, most people don't even know it snows in Iran.
0: In like real snow, like snow, snow.
1: Yeah, one third of the country is covered in really high mountains and we have like around 20 ski resorts and they're still open right now and where in most parts of the world, the ski resorts are already closed. And it actually snowed just today, just this morning on the mountains in Tehran. Tehran itself is a pretty cool place to see. It's like the New York of Iran, I would say, or like the London okay. of Iran. Because it's different than every every other city in the country, but it's, it's a huge mega city with 15 million population. And it has like both the old and the new. And it also has really cool mountains towering above it. So the entire north of the city is covered with mountains. Yeah, so Tehran is pretty cool itself. But the, there's crazy traffic here, like any other big city. So that's uh, that's one of the downsides.
0: Is it the capital as well?
1: Yes, it's the capital.
0: And while while you've been describing these different areas, I had found some Iran tours, and they hit almost all the cities you mentioned. So yeah, that's
1: the classic route that most people take. But if you have time to explore Iran on your own, every single we have 31 provinces, and every single province has its own different landscape and different ethnicity and different history. So there's really a lot to see. Like if you go to the west right now, the Zagros mountains in the west, the Kurdish regions, the uh, Lurish regions, or the north of Khuzestan, they're totally like covered in green valleys right now because it's uh, it's springtime. And uh, in the northeast of the country, you have the Turkmen regions. So that's like a totally different ethnicity. And they're like famous for their horse riding and everything. And you have the Mm -hmm. central parts, which are all covered in desert. And the south is like a subtropical climate with palm trees and everything. Actually, it's interesting because the south is very, very diverse. Their ancestry goes back to Tanzania, Zanzibar, India, even Portugal and Britain because they were trying to colonize the south for Mm -hmm. for a while. And uh, they're also mixed with an Arab population. And then when you go towards the north of Iran, near the Caspian Sea, you have like lush green. Rainforests and their ethnicity is mixed with the Russians and the Georgians. So you really have like a really cool, diverse landscape throughout the country. And the, the diversity is not just in, in the landscapes, it's in the ethnicity and the food and everything. So if you have time to travel off the beaten path, uh, there's really a lot to see.
0: I have to see about that because if I was able to get there, I definitely want to spend some time off the beaten path. And since you mentioned food, what, what, what's like a go to food that I'm, dude, the food pictures you show, I'm just like, this is a full spread, like <laughs> a full like four course meal. And that's just your lunch.
1: Yeah, the servings are pretty big here. It's, it's kind of like the US, like portions are pretty big.
0: Right. But the people I doubt are as big. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, not, no, not, not as big. Iranian cuisine, it's, it's a very unique cuisine. It's something in between, I would say like South Asian cuisine and Mediterranean cuisine, but it's not like either one. Mm -hmm. Most people, like the stereotype, like the conception that people have of Iranian food is usually like they would think it's spicy, but it's not, it's not like hot spicy. It is spicy, but like spices like saffron and turmeric and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Iranian food is generally not hot unless you go to the south or the southeast of the country where it gets very hot because like the Baluchi population, their food is very similar to uh, Pakistan or India. But cuisine, it's usually a rice dish with a stew. Mm -hmm. Or just a rice mixed with other stuff like vegetables or meat or uh, different kinds of kebabs. And also there's a lot lot of like uh, vegetarian appetizers that we have with food that could be like a main dish as well. And different soups. That would be like an overall categorization of Iranian food, I guess.
0: I'm hungry right now, bro. Like you did (laughs) it. I <laughs> I now know things, <laughs> and even the spice thing. It seems like such a small thing, but you probably had experience where people have been hesitant to to try the food, and sometimes uh, U.S. citizens can be picky eaters just based off of how something looks. Hey, y'all, it's not spicy. Check this shit out.
1: <laughs> Most people like it. I haven't seen that many people that dislike it. But but there's one problem uh, when you're traveling through Iran. The food that we have in the restaurants usually aren't. The variety isn't as big as what we eat at home. I mean, it's much much smaller. Uh, usually, the only things you can find in restaurants are either the kebabs or like one or two different kinds of stews. Whereas at home, we have like at least fifty, sixty different kinds of foods that we switch around.
0: How does that work out? You have a giant industrial freezer or something? <laughs> Why is there such a big difference? No, everything
1: is made fresh at home. I think that I think the main reason is because historically, like eating outside, it's mm. it's, a, it's more of a new thing in Iran except for certain kinds of dishes. And that's because, for example, kebabs are e- easier to make in big batches and on like huge fires. And they're not as easy to prepare at home. So I think and mm. another reason is because like the stews that we make, they, have to, they take a really long time to get prepared. So like they have to be on the stove for like five or six hours to get to the point where they're ready to eat. And I think that would be maybe difficult for, for them to do that in a restaurant.
0: Right, so it's just practicality. That's interesting though. Because in the states, I'm sure it's mostly the opposite. In,
1: oh, and, and the people mostly eat outside.
0: Well, people eat out, but they'll eat out for variety, and they'll eat in. Most people can only make a couple dishes well if they can cook at all.
1: Oh no, Iran is all about home cooking. So if you try Iranian food inside some someone's home, it's totally different than what you would experience outside.
0: All right, got to look out for those experience those home cooked meals. They're always the best yes. when you travel, anyway. They're typically the best. Exactly. <laughs> Bet, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you sharing your perspective, the depth of the discussion. This has been energizing for me. And before we end this session, I want to know what trips you have coming up, what projects you might want to share with us. What do you have going on in your world?
1: The coming week, I I have a trip planned to the northeast of Iran, the region I just told you about, the Turkmen region. And then I'm going to continue all the way towards the Turkmenistan border Mm -hmm. and then the Afghan border, and then go down on the northeast side to the Eastern side of Iran and then cut through to the center of Iran, which is the desert region. But there's a really beautiful oasis in that region with all these like historic towns and castles uh, around it called Tabas. Yeah, after that, I'm going to come back to Tehran, I guess, planning like a 10-day trip approximately. It's going to be a road trip. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's how I do most of my trips in Iran. I usually like to drive everywhere because, yeah, because there's, there's, thing to, there's things to see everywhere, like um, in very remote places. And if you have your own car, it's much easier to get to
0: those places. Are you driving a car, by the way? Or do you drive like a four by four, you know, like a Jeep or something? Because you mentioned there's different terrain.
1: I, I would love to drive a four by four, but I don't have the money right now. I'm just driving an ordinary car, but, but I gotcha. usually make it work. If I gotcha. can't get to a place with my own car, I usually like just hire a driver. Gasoline is really cheap in Iran, so transportation is generally very cheap. Okay. Like uh, one liter of gasoline is around ten cents or even less in Iran. So,
0: oh yeah, that just sounds cheap, and I'm not doing the the imperial to metric conversion. Yeah, no, that's
1: yeah, yeah. And then after that, I have I have a bunch of like foreign trips planned as well for like in in the next three months. I'm planning on going to Lebanon, Morocco, Tanzania, and Ethiopia, and I was also thinking of going to Croatia, Albania, and Moldova, but. I haven't fixed anything yet. Those are just things I'm hoping to be able to do.
0: That sounds like a full a full series of trips coming up, a bunch of different experiences. That's what's up, bro. Hopefully try to make it work. Awesome, man. Well, <laughs> I, I think you will. You seem like a pretty determined guy. I love the energy, man. Well, dude, this has been an absolute pleasure. I hope we stay in touch. I hope to visit at some point in my life, save up my coins and and take one of these tours and do the best I can with it, man. This has been a lot of information. And like I mentioned before, dude for sure this is these are the sort of trips that I love doing I don't like going to the popular places I like going where I know somebody and I can learn a shit ton anyone listening to this now knows literally a hundred times more than they knew before they started this session. And I'm hella grateful for you being transparent with your experience and ideas with this audience. It's dope, man. Thank you. I hope I was able to teach them something. I don't know how much. Yeah. Next, I'll be asking you to show me how to get into learning Farsi (laughs) or Persian, whichever. We'll get get into the meetings in the DMs, into the meetings between (laughs) Farsi and Persian in the DMs. But (laughs) hey, man, wishing you uh, safest of travels, can't wait to see some Thank of the imagery and, and stories you put up, man. It, it's great. And uh, until next time at The Point, man, take care.
1: Thank you. Uh, likewise, it was my pleasure being on the show and
0: I hope to meet you in person. So. We'll work on it, man. We'll definitely make that happen. All right. All right. Peace. know about y'all but for me that was a 101 course in privilege perspective the country the beautiful country of iran seriously while he was telling me all the things and all the features that the culture had to offer i was drooling i was literally looking up trips to go out there and i'll have to make that happen thank you so much ali for sharing y'all make sure you follow him at iranian underscore nomad on instagram and really privilege the fact like think about it If it wasn't for access of Instagram in Iran and in the States, we would have never connected. So that's a really powerful thing. I really cherish that. And again, thank you so much, bro, for being willing to be on the show and sharing your truth, sharing your perspective. I think it'll influence a lot of people to think differently, challenge themselves and to just live better, more productive lives. Hope everyone enjoyed that session. Well, that was definitely a weird choice of edits, right? Um, what I want to share is a little bit less show, showy, we'll say. I usually do the, um, the intro and outro in one take just for the best listening experience, but this needed a little bit more of a top of mind approach. So I just figured we'd cut the music, starting with a fresh take and just kind of go from there. So I'm not sure if you all are aware or not, and you might not be because not everybody follow us follows us on Instagram or is connected in that community. But unfortunately, here at the point of our show and within the travel community, um, we've we've lost a brother who was super dope, uh, Cedric Hutchinson II. He was a guest on our show, Session 35. Uh, young man traveling the world, inspirational, positive, funny, charming honest he was very transparent about his thoughts and his perspectives and he was definitely an agent of change and good and positive things not only was he traveling the world and having his own experiences but he started his own company the roaming republic that is really putting on these lit trips around the world introducing young black travelers to these different cultures and also even had a travel scholarship that he had just started uh last year And in the short amount of time I was able to know him, you know, even outside of the interview, because I kind of walk away feeling like I've made a new friend every time I do a session here. He was just a funny, positive guy. You know, we cracked jokes in the DMs, laughed at memes like he was just a a cool cat and he will definitely be missed. Um, However, I think he was also really an example of what could be accomplished at such a young age to put yourself on the path that you really desired for your own life. And I think if anyone were to take anything from, from his experiences and what he shared in his lifestyle, it's that like, wow, he was really out here living his best life, creating value for others. And we can't take positive examples like that for granted, especially when it comes to the black community. And so um, I'm, proud to say that i've had him on the show i definitely encourage y'all to check out that session just to hear his voice i think it might be the only podcast of him um ever and so uh that that's something we definitely cherish and and the point noir community um you know that's important i've interviewed almost 50 men at this point and um you know there's a connection with each and every single one even though we might not have ever shared physical space together And, and that's really important to, to know that, um, you know, we're all in this together. We're all going to need each other to handle difficult situations like this. And, you know, uh, even with unfortunate events like this, it presents opportunities for us to, to better engage, to better connect, to be more aware of the decisions we're making in our own lives to, to try to have some sort of impact similar, or, you know, in the same vein, um, as someone like, like. Cedric um just super positive and you know really making things happen. Um yeah. Yeah, that kind of trailed off. Um but yeah, it's it's been a week. Um uh definitely a sad couple of days for for a lot of us in the travel community. Um so sending all the love and light and support that I I possibly can and, and peace of mind to those who knew him, those who didn't get a chance to know him and um those who definitely uh who were definitely close to him and and um yeah and the rest of us in the travel community you know don't be afraid to 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 reach out uh there have been conversations i've had with people in the dms they've been really healing because we're all kind of experiencing this from similar sides and um especially as men of color to to reach out and rely on another to be vulnerable to say that you're upset to say that you know you're sad like yo it's it's an opportunity to be there for somebody especially if you can you know help them again along their path so that all being said uh yeah cedric you would definitely sorely be missed uh and that the outpouring of love uh on your behalf has been just simply simply beautiful so that all being said uh, appreciate the space and the opportunity to be a little bit more candid, a little bit more uh, free-flowing with this outro. I wish you all the safest of travels and all your journeys, no matter if they are local or international. Safe arrival is something that we cannot take for granted. And um, definitely the best of success in all your pursuits. May they be awesome. I'm Jerry the Third, a.k.a. Kimono Jack, signing off. See you next week.